Hello and welcome to Brahm's show. This is Brahm and we are going through the series Why Christians Must Be Right. Written and read, at least at this point, by Brahm French. We're on chapter 9, Abortion. In the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson wrote, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So far, I've spent a lot of time dealing with liberty, without which there is no happiness. However, liberty is useless without life. There should probably be no issue more important to the Christian than that of life. All other liberties blossom from the first tenet, life. If the denying of the unalienable right of life is permitted by a society, then all other rights are placed into question. Don't get me wrong. Christians ought to be outspoken about each liberty and every right that is stolen from us by an overextended government. However, we are morally required to speak out on the fundamental issue of life. Long ago, a teenage girl about 13 or 14 years old discovered that she was pregnant. The child was not her boyfriend's, and she and her boyfriend both knew it could not possibly be. She knew she risked losing her boyfriend when he found out about the pregnancy. In those days, a single mother would be shunned and have no prospect of supporting herself and the child. If she lost her boyfriend, not only would she lose her future income, she would lose any hope for a stable, secure environment for her child and herself. Now she was faced with a decision. Should she abort her baby and just, or should she just tell her boyfriend the truth and hope that he understands? If your answer was abort, you would have just killed the Savior of all mankind. This scenario plays out in our communities every day. What impact can that one child make if only he or she is allowed to live? One potentially abortion-minded teenager and her unaborted child changed the course of civilization forever. The book of Luke records the visit of the angel Gabriel, who was sent from God into the city of Nazareth in the region of Galilee. The angel went to a virgin who was espoused to a man named Joseph, who came from the house and lineage of Israel's beloved King David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel said to Mary, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When Mary saw the angel, she was troubled by what he said and wondered what this greeting meant. The angel told her not to fear because she had found favor with God. Gabriel then told Mary that she would conceive and give birth to a son and that his name would be Jesus. Gabriel continued, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Understandably, Mary had a question or two. How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The angel then gave her the word, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Matthew also gives an account of the Savior's birth when he writes, 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found a child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him Mary his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Mary risked losing her fiancé and even her life, yet she still chose to give birth to the child that she carried. Joseph had the chance to choose another course in his life and walk away, yet he chose to stay. He raised Jesus as his own. Though Joseph bore no genetic responsibility for the baby that Mary carried, he chose to stay with her. There's something to be said about those men who are more than just sperm donors. They are true men who stick around and love their wives and children, regardless of whether the children are biologically theirs or not. And there is something to be said about the mothers who choose life, regardless of the obstacles that they may face. Parents who choose to give life, even and maybe especially those who give infertile couples a chance to love and raise and adopt a child, are heroes. Ronald Reagan wrote a book entitled Abortion and the Conscience of a Nation while he was president. I strongly encourage you to read it. I could never do it justice, so rather than plagiarizing his work, I would just encourage you to read it and present it to you relevant passages from scriptures along with some of my personal thoughts. Scripture is clear about life. We see in the Old Testament that the law applies to life from the point of conception and not merely after birth. Exodus chapter 21 verses 22 through 25 says, If men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. The term fruit depart meant early birth or premature birth. Mischief meant the death of the child. Life for life meant that the death penalty was required for anyone who took the life of an unborn child. The left has told us for years that the baby in the womb is merely tissue, not life. If this is how God looks at it, then why would he require the death penalty for anyone who causes a woman to abort? It is clear that God does not consider the unborn child to be just tissue. Further scriptural references to life 
in the womb follow. Job chapter 31, verse 15. Did not he that made thee in the womb make him, and did not one fashion us in the womb? The same God that formed us formed that child yet unborn. Our mothers either loved us enough or respected God and life enough to give us the opportunity to have life. Wouldn't it be right to give the unborn the same choice we had? Psalm chapter 22, verses 8 through 10 says this, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. The psalmist declares that God is he that took me out of the womb. As God is the author and creator of all life, he is also the sustainer of it. This explains how Jesus can be the great physician. God gave reason to hope while we were yet suckling. The psalmist declared that God has give, uh, that God was his God from his mother's belly. In other words, from my beginnings, God was there. It is my firm belief that every child is a blessing from God, regardless of the environment into which that child was born. Isaiah 44 and 2 says, Thus saith the Lord that made thee, and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. The Lord does not claim to make us from birth, but from the womb. Isaiah 49 and 1 says, Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken ye people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. God knows the child by name that is in his or her mother's womb. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 11, verse 29, For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God has a calling on each child from which he will not repent. In other words, God's plan God plans every child, yet the mother holds the life and future of God's will in her hand or womb. There are those who say God's will has to be done, that He will, that His will is forced to be executed on earth. If this were the case, why would Jesus use these words teaching His disciples to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven? Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. If God's will was going to be done no matter what, this prayer was a waste of time and energy. In 2 Peter, we read, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If God's will is forced, he is not willing that any should perish, then it would be impossible to be lost. If it's impossible to be lost, why repent or believe? This makes it apparent that it is possible to thwart the will of God. Every time an abortion occurs, the will of God is abandoned and left undone. Isaiah 49 and verse 15 says, Can a woman forget her suckling child that she should not have compassion on the son of a womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. In America today, each new mother is told not to consider much less have compassion on the son of her womb 
If she already has several children or is in financially strained, she's advised to remove the child from existence. In the scripture just quoted, God asked the question, can a mother forget her suckling child? He then answers the question by saying that even if the mother can forget her own offspring, he will never forget. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. God's word tells us that he knows us even before he forms us. It says that he sanctifies us before our mothers give birth to us. This means that when a mother destroys her child, she is destroying a sanctified life known by God. How many prophets, doctors, great leaders has the Lord ordained for America that we have allowed to be extinguished? Luke chapter 1 verse 41. And it came to pass that while Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Here we see that John the Baptist experienced emotion in the womb. Was John the only child who felt emotion in the womb? Have you ever seen a sonogram in which the child is sucking his or her thumb? Why does a child suck their thumb? It's a comforting action. Why would there be a need for comfort in the womb if there was no emotion? Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. The Lord has made it clear, life is sacred upon its creation, and life is created by God. At the moment of conception, God doesn't play politics, but he has made clear his position on the question of abortion. God is most definitely pro-life. This is not a Republican or a Democratic issue or an issue of right and left. This is an issue of right and wrong. It is often the easiest way out to kill those who don't have a voice. But if America will ever secure individual rights and protect human dignity again, the Christian right must speak loudly and clearly on the issue of life. 